Hey everyone, my name is Caleb and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me. And today I am honored to be joined by Sabrina Chan and Linson Daniel to talk with them about their recent book called Learning Our Names, Asian American Christians on Identity, Relationships, and Vocation. And we are going to uh, get into just a lot of their uh, background as well and diving into the the nuances and complexities that come with uh, with being an Asian American and realizing that it, it's so much more nuanced than that as well. And we're going to get into that conversation here in just a couple of minutes. However, if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I do want to tell you about a couple of things that really inform pretty much everything that we do here. The first thing is this, is that we truly want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because there's some conversations that you just know that you're not going to be able to have them with other people because it might, (laughs) it just isn't going to go well. And some of the things that we're going to talk about today can fall into that as well. And that really ties into kind of the second thing that informs it is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, no matter how different they are from us, whether they're and whether or not their experience is vastly different or very similar to us as well. And those differences can often make it difficult to have conversations around these topics. But here on the podcast, on the Learner's Corner, we want to create space for that wherever we can engage in respectful dialogue and learn from each other and from our differences. And we believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, whether that be something a little bit more serious or something like history or something that is trivial. And we're going to get into um, into just many uh, cult- cultural artifacts as well and some recommendations that both Sabrina and Linson uh, have for us to continue learning about today. And if you, oh, I almost, I almost forgot the last one is that we want to become the person who was there for us, or in some cases, the person who we wish had been there for us, that we want the next generation to have it better than we did. We want to help them go further and faster than we were able to go. So if you want to continue this journey with us, or maybe you've been on the journey for a while. One of the best ways to keep up with everything that we're doing here on the Learner's Quarter podcast is subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find in the link for the show notes. And I'm in, I send it out once a week and I just give you some of the best things that I'm thinking about right now or some of the best things that I'm learning from, some of the things that are capturing my imagination right now, making me think, and some of the things that I am learning from. And so with that, let me tell you a little bit about our guests and then we can jump right into the conversation. Sabrina Chan is a daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong and is the national director of Asian American Minor- Ministries in or for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the United States. And Linson Daniel is an associate pastor of Metro Church in Dallas, Texas. He was the national coordinator for South Asian InterVarsity as well. And they have authored this book, which we're going to talk about, Learning Our Names, Asian American Christians on Identity, Relationships, and Vocation. Without any further wait, here is our conversation.
Well, Sabrina and Linson, it is so good to have the both of you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Caleb. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, you know, one of the things that I love um, to ask people whenever they have created a work of art, in this case, you've created a work of art together in the form of your book, Learning Our Names. I love hearing the story behind it. And so I would just love to hear um, from the both of you of what, what drew you to this project, what got you interested in it, what made you want to write this book? Yeah, I mean, I can start because I kind of instigated it. Um, I am the National Director for Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, campus ministry on about I don't know, seven or 800 campuses across the U.S. And um, I became the National Director for our AAM uh, in 20, late 2017. And one of the first things I started thinking about was, oh, you know, when I was in college, there was this book by InterVarsity Press written by some Asian American staff that really helped me um, think more about my identity and my faith and uh, especially my vocation. And, um, you know, by then it had been a long time since I've been in college. Uh, the book had been out, it came out in 1998, that book did. Um, and so I started talking to the folks over at IVP Sam, and our editor, Al Shi, and saying, hey, do you think it's about time for a new one? And what does that take? Like, what kind of project is that? And he explained some of that and and uh, I was like, oh yeah, well, one of the biggest things about um, doing this now is like, I wanna make sure we're representing more of Asian America. The, the older book was more East Asian. Um, that's partly because of who we had on staff at the time. Um, and so I came to the, came, uh, started brainstorming and thinking about like, okay, who from different ethnic communities on InterVarsity staff might be interested in this? So approached, um, La and David and Linson and said, hey, I'm thinking about this project. Um, would you be interested? And um, and they said, yes. And I'll let Linson say why he said yes. Um, but uh, I will say that we probably thought it was going to go faster and be easier than it really was. Um, it, ended up being, it, it was, it's challenging. I think writing is challenging, but then um, we met in fall of 2018. Our proposal was approved beginning of 2019. And we started writing and then the pandemic hit and it was like, oh my goodness, this is a lot. So, um, but really the hope I think is, uh, you know, we've all worked with a lot of different Asian American students, a lot of different kinds of students and different Asian American students um, and felt like there's a reach that a book has um, that is different than, than being, of course, being able to have individual conversations is most yeah maybe effective and helpful, but there's a reach if somebody doesn't have access to somebody to have these conversations with. We want to create a place to start those conversations. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Linson? Yeah, yeah. Similar lines. I'm, I was really grateful when Sabrina reached out um, to be a part of the author team uh, because I remember being a student and um, in InterVarsity as well. And then someone saying, hey, this book, uh, this in the book was called Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents. Um, this book might be helpful for you. And so I was like, oh, okay. And actually it was really helpful, but um, I, I I didn't actually see myself or my story in it. And as Sabrina said, a lot of it was East Asian. And so being a South Asian or from Indian uh, American background specifically, I was able to translate some of the ideas. I mean, they were, they were similar, but not the same. Uh, and then, uh, and so then uh, given this opportunity, I was kind of watching, I, I looked back at myself like 15 years ago and I thought, man, that young man could have really used an like an older Indian American mentor 
um, saying something to him, you know, so why don't, uh, why don't I, you know, do something? And, um, and at the time at, at, at Fuller Seminary, I had several professors, you know, tell me, um, you know, thinking about the next generation is great. Even praying is even better, but writing is, you have to write, you have to leave cultural artifacts behind for the next generation to build on if you don't do that then i mean your prayers and thinking are great but they need to we need to crystallize some of our thoughts and we know that they're not going to be perfect but at least they have like new building blocks to build and improve and 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 and, and like clarify our thoughts so that was just another kind of provoking thought like we've got to put some stuff down right and 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 allow the next generation to hear from us and make it better. So, so those are some internal motivators for me. Um, and so that's a little bit about the story. And I'm, of course, I love the author team. They're such a fun group of people. So that made it also a lot of fun for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about balancing that dynamic because I'm like, again, I've, I've had several co-authors on before and usually it's like two people working on it. And you have four people working on it. Talk to me just about that process and like um, and like trying to integrate each other's experiences as well. Because just as you mentioned, you know, sometimes it could be just limit or uh, labeled as, you know, Asian American. And you're just saying it's it's more complex than that. And so just talk to me about that dynamic working together and figuring out all of that stuff. Yeah, I can take a quick stab at it. Is that okay, yeah. Sabrina? Yeah. So um yeah. I think what helped a lot, Caleb, is that we had a lot of friendships in in our mix. And for me, especially Sabrina, Sabrina was um, a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, she was um, guiding and forming um, some of my journey um, as a student. And um, she had an engineering background. She had left her engineering background to follow uh, the Lord into ministry. And I remember even my parents meeting Sabrina and being like, what she did was crazy. You know, you can't do that. You know, and I'm like, and then lo and behold, that ends up being my story, you know? And so there's a lot of intertwining stories there that were so cool for me to reflect back on. Um, but then the other thing is um, um, the, com- the complex thing was, is that from my seat as an Indian American, there are certain ways I understand scripture or theology but then when I'm writing a chapter, let's say on church or vocation, or we have another chapter that she, uh, Sabrina and I write together about um, uh, gender partnerships or parental love or whatever it is, it's, it's complicated because there are some things that we all hold similarly, but then there are other things that we're really different on. So we have to like share that with each other. So that was complex. Uh, but it was still very rich and beautiful because we had like overlapping stories. But so there was just, just like these nuances. Like I, I remember even when Sabrina or I think it was or maybe it was a lot where it's like I, I need to, I need to go talk to a Korean American friend about something, you know, because I, I realized I didn't have that thread go into the chapter, you know, and I don't want someone to feel like uh, they didn't quite catch my story in there. Or at least they didn't, they didn't even make a hat tip to me, you know, so that was complicated. Um so, yeah. And Sabrina? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's complicated, but I think there was um, maybe it's also I, I, there's a little very I felt like there was very little ego in our group of four. Like and I felt like there was a lot of vulnerability. Right. Because mm. you're writing this chapter, you show it to everybody else. Um, we're giving each other feedback like, hey, this part 
I'm not sure if that really connects for my community or like, hey, I'm, I'm putting this out there. This is what I noticed. What do y'all think? Does this feel connected or is this just me or, you know, like those kinds of things. And I felt like um, I felt like one of the keys was that like we're just like, hey, we're just trying, you know, and mm. and uh, people very willing to take feedback from each other. And, you know, I, I've been saying recently that like I don't I don't I don't know that I would have if it had just been me, I think I would have not have finished. Like if it was just up to me to finish my chapters during the pandemic, I wouldn't have finished. It was just too hard with the kids being home and um, I had some health stuff. And But the fact that we were doing it together, it was like, oh, we got to like, I, I want to finish because I want, I mean, I want to finish anyway, in, inherently, but I really want to finish because like then, um, you know, my friend's work doesn't go to waste, right? We got to get yeah. this thing out there. Um, and that's been, that's been a real joy. And even in this part of it, you know, getting to see the book, um, you know, be out in the world. It's fun to get to do that with others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Linson, you, you had mentioned, uh, and I'm sure this was the case for all four of you of, you see the similarities in your experiences. And then you also see, oh, there, there are some differences as well. And so, Linson, do you maybe just want to start of just talking about like some of those similarities that you noticed and then some of the differences as well? And then Sabrina, maybe you could give your thoughts too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that we were uh, trying to avoid throughout the book um, is stereotypes, right? The stereotypes are, are, are usually put upon us and they're fueled by media and they're unhelpful. But on the other side, so so that's on the that's on the table across from us. Stereotypes are being put on us. But as Asian Americans living in America, in order sometimes for our voice to be heard, we have to kind of band together as one kind of racial unit. But that also got kind of got forced upon us. Like mm -hmm. you know, it's not like we live in Asia thinking that we're one big blocked community. <laughs> Nobody thinks that way. But when you come into America, we get racialized, like we get put into that category. And so we have to, in some ways, embrace that in order to like amplify. But but even but then when we amplify that we come together and amplify, we lose our distinctiveness. So you can see the the dilemma. Right. And so what that's called is so on the other side of a stereotype on our side, it's we can be we can slide into essentialism where we're essentializing our experience so that it can be known and heard so one example would be we've danced around it here a little bit is like filial piety meaning that we respect our elders and those that have gone before us and a lot of a lot of times their will or their hope and desire for us is so strong that we we actually have a hard time discerning their voice from like maybe god's voice it's not even like a voice of a mentor it's your parents and your grandparents your ancestors right but then how we feel that and how we process what is going on through the voice of filial piety is very different so for example some of my east asian friends the overlapping maybe uh, religious framework could be like confucianism right and there's something about the family network inside that but we still have that in the indian culture but it is not through confucianism it is through hinduism right but we're all christian but that flows inside of um our understanding of the lord and culture and all of that 
And so we can make the blanket statement filial piety, right? And then we even have like our Korean American friends who have a hierarchy in, you know, like when I talk to my Korean American friends, they have a name for like every individual person in their family. You don't just say uncle or aunt or grandma on this side, grandpa on that side, like there's names. And then in, in home and brothers and siblings and, 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 you know, you see that and you're like, wow, there's another layer there, you know? Um, I could keep going on and on, but that's of all the nuances, you know, that you hear um, that that inform the one value of filial piety across all of our Asian American backers. Does that make sense? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Sabrina, yep. am I catching that right? Yeah, yeah, you know? I think so. I think that's a great way. Of, that's a great example. Um, yeah, I think I'll jump in with like just uh, migration story really matters in terms of like, um, you know, so I, I don't know how familiar that your listeners might be, but the, sort of the two common stereotypes that I read about this in our in my chapter on race is that like model minority and perpetual foreigner. So perpetual foreigners, like no matter how many generations you've been in the United States, um, society tends to view you as other. Um, so we saw that in, in COVID-19, right? Like it doesn't matter if you've been in here for five generations, you must have COVID because you look mm -hmm. East Asian, let's say, or Southeast Asian in that particular example, or no matter how many generations you've been here, if you're brown, you might be a terrorist, right, after 9-11. That's perpetual foreigner. Model minority is saying, um, but actually, uh, if you're useful and you're a good scientist or an engineer, we'll let you into the country, right, that's post-1965 um, immigration reform. It, you know, we'll let you often, we will let you into the country if you prove that you're useful and you're a model minority. We'll, we'll say, oh, wow, actually, you're a really good minority, quote unquote, compared to other minorities that we're kind of pitting you against. And so in some ways, the model minority, I think, has become this trap that um, to avoid the perpetual foreigner, it's like, well, I, I want to belong. And the way I can belong is I'll fit in like this and I'll do well in school and I'll be a good employee and I'll keep my head down and I won't speak up. Um, but, you know, that ignores a lot of things um, and, and, and is very dangerous for Asian Americans. And I read a lot about, you know, resisting that, but how it pertains to the, what I was just saying about our differences is that, you know, that's a one particular, that's a particular story, the post 1965, which actually my parents are a part of, um, that has been brought into sort of say like, oh, well, all Asians are like this or all Asian Americans are like this. And it's not, right? So if you came as a refugee because of the Vietnam War and different communities that were um, helping the US government in the war, like the Hmong community that Law comes from and came as a refugee, or if you came as a, a transracial adoptee, um, if you are fifth generation, if you are, you know, just many different pieces, your experience is, is different, you know? Um, the post 1965 narrative is probably the most dominant just because of sheer numbers, but that's um, and also it's convenient, I think, for the U.S. society to like sort of say like, oh, this is what it is. But actually, Asian Americans have the broadest income inequality. So certain ethnic communities have really high um, household income and then certain uh, Asian American communities have some of the most folks in poverty and lowest numbers of college graduates. So it's, it really spans the whole gamut. Um, yeah. 
Another thing that I would love uh, for you to talk about too, what you write about in the book, is how being the my or the model minority often can set you up against other minorities as mm-hmm. well. And so, can you just talk about that dynamic as well and how how that is? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that one of the things that I think um, as Asian Americans, our voice in racial justice is really needed because of of that model minority setup. Um, it's basically a setup to say, oh, well, black and brown communities aren't as like, aren't as good minorities, right? It's model compared to who, right? Because, oh, well, Asian Americans are doing so well and da 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 And it's like, well, there's reasons Asian Americans are doing so well. Some of it is that post-1965, how many people were educated, had to be educated, you had to have certain degrees to even come, be led into the country um, for, for many communities. But, it's also there was a study I can't I can't think of the name of the the citation right now but there was a study that basically said the reason why Asian Americans did 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 better than other communities in overall in this particular study was that basically America was less racist <laughs> towards Asian Americans you know and some of that is colorism and skin color so I mean I want to let Linson speak to that too but um, but yeah I think I think Asian Americans have really um, uh, Asian American civil rights have a lot to, um, we have a great debt to, you know, black civil rights. Um, our work in immigration has a lot to owe to um, Latino communities and stuff like that. So just to say like, yeah, our voice in speaking up against injustice, I think we we really have to be a part of the conversation um, because I, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, um, There's a way that the American dream idea for Asian Americans, I think, says that, oh, if you just do this, then everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and da da da, and you work hard. So, not critiquing anybody's hard work. There is a lot of hard yeah. work, right? Yep. But that's not the only way. That's not the way that, that's not the only thing that's happening. There's other dynamics at play. And so, we need yep. to be able to speak up um, against injustice in that way. I, I, I'm sure, Linson, you probably can help clarify and bring more to that. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I'll add to that is what the model minority myth does. It's like a it, it like fits with other um, like uh, paradigms. And the, the the idea is if if we play into the model minority myth, it'll render us invisible in a black, white binary mm-hmm. conversation. Right. So there there is race conversations in the country that render us invisible. Right. And so. And so that, and so if we can just be the model minority, we can, we'll, we'll disappear from that conversation. And then sometimes we can be used as the example. So the white community can be like, hey, look, what do you mean minorities are having a hard time? Look, here are Asian Americans, right? And, but then that's not true, right? But then, especially as a South Asian, um, because my skin color is darker, uh, I have been mistaken for being black, right? And, and in those scenarios, I'm experiencing something very different than what Sabrina is experiencing. Sure, we might all be, we might, uh, we have the post-1965 immigration and maybe we're all well-to-do uh, with income or whatever, but my skin color still makes my experience different. But then if I can't say anything about that, like don't speak up about that because you're going to uh, ruin the balance for our model minority kind of, but then 
but there's something about me entering into the conversation and say, hey, um, I can bring uh, a richness to this conversation that's not this binary, this black, white binary. And there's something more that can be done here for all of us together, you know? Um, and even just a little bit of historical work, just go back a little bit in history. I mean, U.S. Um, his, history is great, but we belong to a we belong to a, a global history. Right. So, I mean, you know, even the black civil rights movement, you know, has ties to like apartheid in mm-hmm. South Africa, apart, uh, has ties to Mahatma Gandhi and nonviolent protests in India. Right. MLK actually came to India to meet Mahatma Gandhi right and so there's this there's this there's this whole idea that we're more connected to this conversation than just a black white conversation so um that's what model minority ends up doing to us if we don't fight back and say hey wait a second that that label is not fair Um, yeah so and maybe a more specific example that's current that we just didn't have space. We just ran out of word count yeah, in the book. Yeah. There's so that's, much to that's cover. That's what the podcast is for. Yeah, Give, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, affirmative action, right? So there's a pretty, I actually have lost track of it in this moment, What like what has happened, but um, they have tried, you know, at UT, they actually, it was University of Texas, they had a white woman who tried, this lawyer tried was trying to take down affirmative action and you know, she said she didn't get in because da, da, da. I think it didn't work is what I remember. And so they went after it again more recently at Harvard with I think it was Chinese American. Is that right, Linson? I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was because I feel the feel the uh, about it. But that they're saying, like, we want to take down affirmative action and use this Chinese American, these Chinese American students because they couldn't get in because of affirmative action. And that's wrong. And I'm like, oh, so there's now there's groups, um, Chinese for affirm- Chinese Americans for affirmative action because we're saying like, hey, actually don't don't use us that way. That's not what most of us think, you know. Um, but this you know this one law firm and this this one group, the special interest group, has like sort of said, oh well, now we'll t- try now with Chinese Americans. So um, yeah, so that's an example I think of that model minority. It's like, oh well, this community is doing really well and you know quote unquote doesn't need that help, but they're ignoring a lot of history and a lot of dynamics that are at play, you know, and it's like, no, don't, don't use me that way. You know, don't use my community that way. Yeah. I, I would love to ask you more, more about that. And, and so, and in the book and so forth throughout our conversation, a lot of what we've talked about is expectations, whether that be cultural expectations or family expectations, or even sometimes uh, gender expectations, which can, which can play into this as well and then and then you also throw in um the americanness of it of being an american as well and so i would just love to hear from both of you of especially as it comes to your faith as well how have you learned how to navigate those expectations and figure out how jesus is calling you to to live your life as sabrina and as linson as well and so sabrina maybe starting with you and then we can go to linson with some of his thoughts too yeah, so you're asking about the navigation of expectations and and faith. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about um, communal identity and individual identity, and that sometimes I think that it, I was saying to this uh, colleague yesterday that that um, in Western culture. In, I'll just you know speak in generalities for the moment, but like Western white cultures um, use that word community and communal, but 
I don't think we're using, I don't think it means the same thing as when I'm using it. So that is, I mean, some of what you're asking is like highlighting some of the, um, the relational um, ties and, and that does bring complexity, but I actually really, I, I, I love the, um, I love the relational ties, even as, you know, we were, I think we talked earlier just about um, navigating vocation and, and parents and engineering and all this yeah. stuff. And um, I've been thinking about it more. I, I just moved back to our my hometown to be closer to my parents, my siblings, their families. Um, I've been gone for, I don't know, since I was 17. I haven't lived anywhere near them and it's been forever. And um, just realizing like, I didn't think I would move back to our hometown, but those relationships are so important to me that there's a way that I think um, Western individualism says like, I'm my own thing. I'm always my own thing. And I think a lot of other communities, not just Asian, but um, as we've talked about it for our book in Asian communities, there's a lot more of like, um, I'm a part of something bigger. I'm here I'm, I'm a my relationship to you is, is important um, that there's just a lot. It's less, it's less island, right? And I, you know, I would even argue that that's more of what we see in scripture, right? The community, yep. the interdependence, um, that is tricky to navigate, as you're asking, but also, um, also really important. So I think in the navigating, I mean, that's what we write a lot about um, discernment. So everybody has all communities have had to figure out discerning what does it mean to follow Jesus in my um, in my time, in my sociolocation, in my community? Um, what does that look like? We're trying to write for Asian Americans, hey, here's some ideas about what it looked like for us to discern. Um, that may change for you. Like you're in a you're you might be in a younger generation, you know, the dynamics of race by nature just change mm -hmm. over time. Um, but I think I think there's um, I would say that that discernment, you know, we, we talk about discerning in community and some of those things. So even at times when I didn't agree with my parents or that poll was, I was trying to navigate that, doing that in community with folks and not just folks who um, couldn't see my parents' point of view, you know what I mean? Um, but with some folks who might be able to understand that, um, doing that in community, that's been... I think that's just a theme, you know, not a not a community of people who are yes people, right? But the folks who can really um, challenge and speak into, I think that's, I think that's been a gift of being from a more communal culture. Um, I do think I look around at the church, and and we can talk about this with the gender stuff too. But like, look around at the state of the United States church these days, and I'm like, wow, there are a lot of individual leaders who are yeah. you know not not doing well let's just put it that way and yeah. and part of it maybe be and maybe, and maybe they had some community but it was like yes people community like the platform got so big that you know i just saw i haven't read it yet but i saw caitlin i don't know how to say her last name bd it's a new book about yeah. celebrities for yep. jesus i was like oh i bet that's what that talks about <laughs> you know like i haven't read it yet i want to get it yeah. but anyway so that's a, sort of a, a roundabout answer would love to hear linson what you think too yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, that's, that was, that was really good. Um, you know, if I was to give like paint, like an analogy, you know, it would be like, 
all of these voices in our life i mean one way to make it look bad would be like i don't know if any of you guys are sci-fi people but mm-hmm. like, like like star trek like like it's the borg you know like everybody is like the same thing you know so if you're not inside the community it's easy to paint it that way like you all will be assimilated into the collective uh but it's actually not that um when you're in a community it's uh what the value in the community is actually unity it's not uniformity always right so we we we, we band together and so it's not the board probably another way to think about it is like a suspension bridge you know like all those tension points keep that bridge solid and if you lose a couple you know there's enough redundancy that you know it stays in place but if there are several ropes um or suspension um you know like get tension get cut from that that bridge will fall you know and i think as an asian american we are more aware of those wires than maybe some of our other friends, you know, mm-hmm. like we know that we stand upon stories that went before us, um, uh, stories uh, and legacy that goes before us, um, parents and history, all of that, uh, our community, the South Asian or Asian American community together, we, we, we feel that, you know, I've always wondered as, a, as that bridge, I'm sure there are parts of that bridge were connected to that suspension wire, it is full of a ton of tension. You know, so it's probably not pleasant, you know, but when it ropes start to get cut, it goes from being like a tension, stress filled thing to like a lifeline, you know. Um, And so even for like when I think about my church community, which is predominantly Indian American, um, I watch churches in my city like crumble and fall apart through pandemic. And I can't I haven't been able to completely get down to the bottom of it, but our church like exponentially grew, you know, and there was just something about people saying like, I need to, I need to get back into my community again. Uh, There's a line that I wrote in the church um, section where I said, I think deep down inside some Asian Americans miss the auntie. And when when we say auntie, like they're not even related to you. You just have to call them that. (laughs) They're, They're just an elder woman at your church. They miss an auntie that rebukes them and invites them to lunch, like in the same sentence, right? Like, like that, tension that that wire to keep the bridge up um is so key it's so key to asian american formation um we sometimes it's not always that god's voice and their voice are like tangential oftentimes they reverberate together and you're like i actually heard god more clearly now because of this web of folks in my life so hopefully that helps yeah that does help and especially like it gets me thinking of you know, one of the things, and it, it, it was happening before the pandemic, but it is accelerated, is loneliness in there. And like, I'm listening to you talk about that, Linson, and like, that is something that is, that just doesn't take place in like a lot of like white churches of that, that family aspect of like, okay, so maybe, maybe I don't have a great relationship with my dad, or maybe I don't have a great relationship with my mom. However, I have all of these aunties and uncles who may or may not be related to me. Can you just talk about that a little bit more yeah that's exactly right you know like i actually my church right now my parents don't actually go to my church Mm -hmm. right so i'm in a church and i'm surrounded by uncles and aunties and my kids are also and here's the funny thing my parents know what happened in my church before i even get home to tell them 
you know, like, so I'm like, did you catch the live stream or what's going on? Oh, no, no. One of my auntie friends called, you know, the auntie network or whatever. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, um, and so even if I wanted to be alone and like I wanted to like I would have to work hard to cut the bridge down. Like I would have to be very, very methodic cutting every single suspension wire down. And I know I'm doing that. Um, and that would be how I would be disconnected. But it's so hard sometimes to get fully disconnected that you actually get tired of trying to cut all the wires because there's just no way to do it. So, uh, and in that sense, you felt very connected. Like we had friends who were church hopping through, they, they were church hopping and they went into the pandemic and it's like, they were lost. It was like the pandemic artificially cut all these wires and they were they were just so lost and it, it, it and then because following Jesus by yourself is still is not really yeah. still following Jesus so um and so when they got back into that into they found the, the the South Asian community and they were South Asian and they just kind of felt this like reconnection and a revitalization of their faith actually you know and and it would be it's still very hard for some of us to articulate these things that's why this book was um, a little bit of a risk for me and all of us actually to write. I, I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback from the stuff that we all wrote. We're all going to get that pushback, but we're trying to articulate what what happens to us in um, because there are times we pathologize Asian um, heritage. Like these things are bad. These things are good. But actually what we're realizing is actually, no, there's an inherent um, goodness. There's There's a facet of God that I think is good for the broader church in America that if we, if we throw it all away to just fit in, I think everybody loses here, you know? And so like the loneliness uh, uh, epidemic, like if the Asian American church could be like, yo, this is how we made that work. And if that's really helpful and we can export that and help, like we should like keep that ember alive, you know, and, and use it to warm the whole, body in in our u.s american church so those are some ideas sorry i was rambling a little oh, bit no. but. that's that's great yeah I, I i want to follow up on that and and ask uh both of you what are some other things that you would say hey these are found in the in the asian american uh church that maybe aren't as apparent or aren't as um aren't as highlighted as, uh, in the white church as they are in the asian american church and so sabrina maybe we could start with you and then once and you can kind of give your thoughts you talking about like values or? Yeah, that values are just stuff that you would say, like the communal nature mm -hmm. that we were talking about, mm -hmm. that this is just more apparent in the in the Asian American church. And you can uh, you can narrow it down or deepen it down to your specific mm -hmm, context mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe this is connected to what we were just talking about, the communal piece, but the loyalty, I think, mm -hmm. is... Um, so uh, loyalty and I think just... Uh, um, you know, there's this, this is pretty common in a lot of Asian cultures that there's not a, a lot of like direct, I love you's coming from parents to kids. Not like you see on, not like we grew up watching TV, you know, like full house family matters. The parents are always saying, I love you. Now I say, I love you to my kids all the time. Um, and that's a conscious choice, but there's a way that, um, uh, so I went to visit one of, uh, as, as an university staff, I, we raise support. And um, I went to visit one of my supporting churches that supported me for over 20 years now um, of me being on staff. And it's a, it's a, it's a Chinese immigrant church. They have an English ministry too, of course. Um, 
And it's not a very large church, um, but I went to visit and to speak and they've been supporting me all this time. And um, I love, they sent me home with uh, some hand-me-down clothes for my daughter, uh, a few toys, food, like a couple bags of food, you know? And I was like driving, you know, driving three or four hours back. And I was like, well, that's, yeah, that's what it is to visit. You know what I mean? To visit this church. They might not have as much um, funds as a big white mega church or whatever, but uh, I'm trying to think when I've been supported by, there's been a few times I've been supported by larger white churches. Like there's not, you know, they, they have the check and they'll, yeah. you know, verbally like, Hey, so glad you came to it up. But there's not that sense of caring. And um, there's ways of expressing love that are, um more um i'm gonna do this for you you know i'm gonna make sure your car is okay you know or i'm gonna make sure my mom you know we just like i told you we just moved closer to them and uh we only we're only we were only there for three weeks before we came on this trip right here but in that time they picked took our kids for several afternoons and which was awesome in itself um but i felt like the extra touch was that mom brought soup every time she came over to pick up the kids like Chinese soup that like I can't make I want to learn how to make it but like that's like the like that's I love you you know even if I feel like she's nitpicking me about how our house looks or how fast we're moving in or like whatever but like yeah the soup that's I love you and there's a loyalty there yeah that I I really appreciate Hmm. how about you Lenson yeah connected to that those were awesome stories (laughs) I couldn't stop I was chuckling when you were sharing that um i think it's like we're, we're kind of building on a theme um I, i'm sure i could think of something else but to continue in our conversation like there's a generational interdependence that is gets baked into um the way the society works and so one good thing about that is the stories of generations are uh, are held with the scriptures you know so you're reading about the god of abraham Isaac and Jacob and you're like it it reverberates because you you have actually three or four generations that are following God you know Mm -hmm. and and um like we have like a a 95 or 96 now year old grandma uh at our church and we we all the whole church celebrated her birthday because she's the oldest right you know and and I remember my uh my kids and I my wife my kids and we visited a church and I will never forget um, they didn't have a kids ministry, which we were fine. So we all walked in together. So my son is sitting there looking around and he was, and he just pulled on me uh, and I leaned over and he was like, where are all the old people? You know? And, and I was like, what? You know? And I looked around and sure enough, it was, it was a real young hip church, you know? And, and I realized, wow, there is something lost here. There's just something here that's not grounding us all together because, you know, they, they weren't there, you know? Um, and so there are sacrifices that are made at our church so that all these generations fit together, but that's a spiritual discipline. Like for, for an 18 year old to say, I'm going to give up certain things so that they stay in the room is actually teaching them more about Christ than to have everything in the hippest, coolest way possible. But then to see that reciprocated when like the older generation at a church is like, Hey, you know, you don't have to translate everything into our language. And I'm like, why? I feel, I feel bad that you might not understand. And, and they're like, man, we've been following Jesus for like 
80 70 years you know we we're all right <laughs> and then you know like you you oh, invest yeah. the yeah. right oh, you know that. or they'll show up to serve food during a vbs i'm like why are you here you know we're all right we're probably a better cook than you i'm like okay okay you know like <laughs> you know, like you know, and it's just that, you know, there's something about that, that is, I, I could try to, you know, it, it's not something taught, it's caught, like you go into the church and you're webbed in to generational impact, you know, mm-hmm. there's drama and trauma still mixed into that. So yeah. I'm not, I don't want to say that that's always a good thing, right? Yeah. But there's some beauty there. That's, that's yeah. really beautiful, that translation thing, Winston. Thanks for sharing that. Because mm-hmm. I, yeah. I do think it is hard. I mean, like you're saying that 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 there is a thing at least in the chinese immigrant churches i've been a part of that's like oh how do we help the younger generation stay connected you know and that mm-hmm. that can be a challenge but i love what you're you're articulating that's so beautiful mm-hmm. uh there's two quick things that i want to ask you about uh but before that i always just love asking is there anything just top of mind for either one of you that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we mention Well, I mean, one one idea that um, I mean, as I've been, it's really cool, by the way, to have a physical copy of your book, of the book. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I got mine right here. Oh, <laughs> nice, love it. Look at that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, um, I was actually shocked, um, and I don't. You probably have heard this, Sabrina. As people start the book, how the first chapter really hits people. Mm-hmm. You know, like even in my wife and I think my daughter tried to read it. She's only 11, but um, I think there was something about naming things that were like, and I, w- I want to just make sure we talk about that yeah. a little bit. So the title Learning Our Names, it kind of has a, like a little bit of a double meaning because it's actually for our community too. Like we need to learn like our name, name, like who we are, right? But it's also to others who are non-Asian to actually like learn our names, you know. And so there's a little brief vignette that we all share about ourselves. And and for me, I realized in my church, as more and more people are getting a hold of the book, they they didn't realize like when they go with me to Starbucks or when we play pickup basketball or something, how I never share my real name to anybody. You know, they're like, you know, what's your, you know, at Starbucks, like, oh, what's the name on this? I just tell everyone it's my last name, Daniel. It's super easy. It's, you know, it's efficient. But if I say Linson, it's going to be like, Lindsay or what? Lipton, you know, Nelson, what? I'm like, oh my God. Like, I don't, like, I don't want to go. I don't want to deal with it. But in that moment, when I make that decision, you know, what is actually like filling up that space between me actually saying my name and helping a person like, you know, because then the next person who might be named Linson or another South Asian name, they actually benefit from my interaction with this barista or person I play basketball with or whatever. But instead of me thinking that I always cop out and say, I just don't want to deal with it. And so it was crazy how names um, and like how that's hitting my community too. Mm-hmm. Like so many South Asians like hide their name. Like they just go with their last name or they make up a shorter for, for version of it. And I'm sure that's, that's true for all Asian Americans actually. Right. Mm-hmm and why we do that so there's a formation there that's so subtle happens so fast you learn it at a young age and you just never think about it you just cope and fix it and move on and um i don't know and then doing the and then us researching and figuring out how do i end up with the last name daniel Mm -hmm. like 
Yeah. We, how in the world did that happen? You know, there's so much richness, there's so much sacrifice, there's so much dearly holding onto the gospel, you know, in India. And I carry that name. So I, I really want to touch on that a little bit. I'm sure, Sabrina, you want to add on that. But we really want your audience and others to know the power of that are held in all of our names, you know, so. That's really good. And and I mean, I love, Caleb, that the the hope of your podcast is to help empower lifelong learning. Um, and and uh, I'll just chime on just a small tag onto that. Uh, you know, I think where someone grows up in America really matters for their experience also of mm-hmm. racialization. So, um, like I said, I, I grew up in uh, Richmond, Virginia in the, in the early eighties. That was very black and white. There were very few Asian Americans. And so, and it's still not, you know, it's growing like everywhere. Asian Americans are growing fastest yeah. growing racial group. But the other day I was, you know, our kids are about to start school and, um, I was looking at their class, uh, directory list that just came out. Like, I don't know any of these teachers, we moved to a new place. And I'm just looking through all the last names in the school. And I'm like, just scanning, scanning. And I'm like, oh, that last name? Maybe, maybe that one's Asian? I don't know. Because I'm trying to figure out, like, is my kid going to have my experience where they're the only one? Mm -hmm. I don't want that. But, um, you know, I learned so much. Even just from Googling, like, I was like, oh, I think this family is Lao. I did not know that that was a Lao last name. Or, okay, this family is Thai. That last name is very, very long, you know? And I was like, oh, this, I was like, oh, a Patel. Great. Yes. You know, like, I'm like, just looking through, but there's just like so much to learn, you know, that um, I think we learned a lot from writing this book and like trying to research and, and all these things. So appreciate folks yeah. wanting to learn. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to ask uh, both of you is I would love to hear what is a historical event could be in, in the United States or it could just be globally that you wish that people knew more about that might help people understand um, just just your culture better? And what is a cultural artifact that you wish that more people would engage in or give like a recommendation? Obviously, we have, you know, the book Learning Our Name. So maybe, maybe, maybe we won't say any books, but, you know, movie, TV show, anything like that. And Sabrina, maybe we could start with you and Linson, we'll give you uh, the last word. What was the first part again? I forgot it already. So what's a historical, oh, historical, no, event. historical, yeah, historical event. event? Yeah. Ooh. Well, I, I'll say, yeah, historical event. We just took our kids. Um, we're out here in the Bay Area for a few weeks. We took our kids to Angel Island to visit. Um, uh, it's and it was sort of the West Coast equivalent of Ellis Island, except that the U.S. government kept Asians there for months and years um, in detention, basically, as they were trying to come into the country because they were trying to, quote unquote, check their papers and make sure they were really, you know, who they said they were and um, carved into the walls of Angel Island um, Detention Center are poems um, in many different languages. But the the predominant group was Chinese, um, Chinese folks, but Koreans, um, Japanese, uh, even later on Russians and, and some others, but, uh, just all these Chinese poems are kind of carved. They're fading now, but they're trying to restore some of them, but they're carved in sort of saying like, Hey, I'm stuck here. (laughs) You know, folks who had even been born in the States, but you know, the government was holding all that up and folks being held. Um, I think I want, uh, I want people to remember that in 1882, the U S government passed the Chinese exclusion act and said, nobody from, from China can come. It was the first ethnically focused um, 
uh, exclusion and uh, extended to Asiatic peoples. That's actually how we got um, lumped into one. Uh, Linson al mm. alluded to this earlier, but different groups sued and said like, no, I, can I be white? Like, you know, um, I mm. think I'm white. And they're like, no, you're all the Asiatic peoples. No, we're excluding you all. Um, and that wasn't changed until basically until 1965. So I think I would want people to know about that. Um, in terms of a artifact, I, I think, um, man, well, I'll just, I'll just say this one because it's, it's on my mind. Um, the Linda Lindas is this girl punk band that they describe themselves as half Asian and half Latina. Um, they are from LA. My kids are really into their music. Um, they range in, they, I think now they range in age from like 12 to 17. Um, mm -hmm. my kids were wearing their shirts yesterday. Um, and to me, they're kind of a representative of like something I so wish I had had when I was a kid. One that they're young mm -hmm. women who are like playing music, uh, but they went viral for their song, racist, sexist boy, um, during lockdown because, uh, a boy asked a girl, one of the young, one of the girls, if she was Chinese, she said yes. And he backed away from her saying stuff about COVID. Mm -hmm. So in response, they wrote a song for that boy, you know, saying like, and, and one of the taglines of it is, uh, we rebuild what you destroy. And that's on the back of the t-shirt that my kids have. Yeah. And I, I just, I love that. Like, I think I, that's kind of what I want to be about, like rebuilding, it be, you know, with God, rebuilding what might yeah. get destroyed, um, the parts of mm. um, Imago Day that might be getting hurt, so. Yeah. And how about you, Lenson? <laughs> Sorry about that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Um, hold on. Let me just yeah. say something real fast. Yeah, uh, you're good. Um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on this comedian. Uh, um, I, I'm gonna be. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, yeah. So about um a couple of U.S. events. Uh, I'd love for your listeners to go research. Um, so first, um. Look up the court case, um, Thind versus the United States. So T H I N D, mm -hmm. that's the last name, Sing Thind, um, versus the United States, 1923. It will be incredibly eye opening. I think most Asian Americans and Indian Americans specifically do not know about this court case. It is incredibly eye opening, it shapes the racial contours and um, actually defines whiteness for the for the United States. But the, it's incredible that that court case is about uh, an Indian American, you know, so look that up. I won't talk about it. I'll let, leave it up to everyone. Again, you can read through it yourself. You would be shocked what that court case does to America. You got me so intrigued. Now I'm yeah, I'm gonna have to look it up to that. And I think there's something about people personally reading it yeah. that will really impact what you'll, you'll be surprised what they say in that court case. The other thing is when you see an Indian American and even um, South Asians include, you know, even parts of the Middle East. So Afghanistan, Pakistan, stuff like that. I think 9-11 really shaped the contours of our relationship with uh the power brokers or what have you of the united states you know mm -hmm. um so i would say 
that understanding that experience of what happened to uh, Muslim communities and, and Sikh communities, Sikh communities, you know, what happened to them. Um, I think that's a great cultural moment to understand why there's some fear or some trepidation either towards us or us to the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, so those are some uh, historical things. So as far as cultural artifacts, I, I mean, we, I'm, I have to give one book. Yeah. One book is uh, Bengali Harlem uh, by Vivek Baldi. It That blew my mind. I actually thought most or all Indians came in 1965. But uh, through that book, I learned how Indians were a part of the American tapestry way further back than I had ever thought. In fact, they had been so... Um, brought into the black community in places like Detroit, in Harlem, uh, in New Orleans, that they had become so integrated. And to know that story creates so much solidarity in me, that history with, with the black community, you know, uh, like it's more rich than I had ever thought, you know, and I, and I, you know, I don't even know if a lot of the folks in the black community know that. So there's this solidarity that happens. Um, the other fun thing for your listeners is go have chai but not at Starbucks, you know, <laughs> go anywhere else, you know, like Google the local Indian restaurant and just go in there and say, you know, I'm not here for a whole meal. I would love like samosa and give me your chai, you know, it'll blow your mind what real chai is like, you know, so, uh, uh, and then uh, the, the last thing is you're looking for something funny and, mm -hmm. and fun to get into our experiences. Watch. Um, uh, and I don't know if there are any curse words in it, so forgive me if there is, but, uh, like Hassan Minhaj's homecoming. Yeah. You know, it gives you the, it, it's an Indian American experience. You know, it'll, you'll laugh your head off, but you know, he's pretty intense too. So he'll, he'll, he'll get you laughing, but then he'll be like, yeah, but this sucks. And he'll get right yeah. in there and teach you something. So, that, so yeah. So there's yeah. some, that yeah. special like made me rethink preaching, you know, homecoming King. I was like, man, mm. there's something he's doing. And of course, you know, he does that same bit. It's different than like, if you have to preach every Sunday or, yeah. whatever but i wanted to say real quick too you're getting a yeah. lot of um hong kong american or cantonese american and indian american stories mm -hmm. because you've got me and linson but just to say yep. that in the book you know we have la who's mong and david who's filipino that you know share a lot of their stories and we're trying to share from different and there's different other communities that we try and um, draw from Khmer, korean american um other stuff but just to say that's that's the beauty and complexity of asian america we don't want to like neglect to mention that there's a lot yeah. more there so yep well i know that people are gonna want to pick up the book and continue to learn from the both of you where's the best place for people to go to do all those things um well it's it's available wherever books are sold uh right now i know ivp is is shipping pre-orders already so university press um, but yeah, you can get it anywhere, actually, nowadays. I think uh, one of our friends texted us a picture of it on the Target website. We were like, whoa! Oh, sweet. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And how do, how do they keep up with the both of you? Um, yeah, uh, my handle on Instagram and Facebook is Sabrina Chan Writes, uh, W-R-I-T-E-S, Sabrina Chan Writes, on the end. And Linson, you want to share yours? Yeah, and on Instagram for me too. So um, at linson.daniel. So yeah, DM us, you know, you know, interact with us there. And then I think in both of our profiles is a link tree to the rest. So if you find us on Instagram, 
you can find the rest there. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And just thanks for doing the work with this book and just with everything and for sharing with it, for sharing it with us today. Thanks, yeah. Caleb. Thank you. Okay, so coming out of that conversation, here's several things that have got me thinking. One, I did look up the court case that Linson mentioned, and it is it is shocking. I did not I did not know about that piece of history in it, and uh, I'm going to include it in in the newsletter for this week as well. And so, um, and and it'll be in the show notes, so you can pick either one of those options. Um, to learn more more about the court case is very, very shocking and, and maybe even a little bit disturbing as well of just realizing that that was not that long ago. That was less than a hundred years ago of what, of what happened. And I would highly encourage you to check it out. Check out their book as well. Um, and I think the the other kind of big takeaway that I had from this episode of learning the importance of asking about cultural artifacts as well, whether that be historical cultural artifacts or more recent cultural artifacts from, from things like learning about a Hassan Minaj or also learning about the Linda Lindas that Sabrina mentioned. And so those are some of the things that I am thinking about from this conversation. And uh, just as we continue to have conversations like this, you will see uh, me asking about more uh, cultural artifacts and learning some recommendations as well. And if you're looking for learning recommendations, uh, the best thing that you could do is subscribe to my newsletter and you will get all of the things that I'm thinking about, some of the things that I'm learning from, as well all of all of the best recommendations and it's uh just a wide uh, variety of stuff from music to movies to youtube videos to as as of with this week you know parts of history that i'm learning about as well so those are some of the things that i'm thinking about and that's all that i have for today i do want to say thank you to sam massey for creating the music for this podcast thank you to sabrina and for Linson for joining me on the podcast and what a very fun conversation as well. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.